0: Hello, and welcome to the 4 Press Podcast, presented by Golf Week and GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and in this episode, my guest is Julie Williams. Julie is not only a senior writer with golfweek and GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports, she is an authority on all things amateur golf. And in the podcast, you're about to hear Julie and I talk at length about Tiger Woods, uh, who's now been announced, has undergone a fifth back surgery, and we talk about Tiger's influence on amateur golf and collegiate golf, and how still today, at age 45, his presence and his influence on amateur and collegiate golfers is profound then we talk about the biggest storylines that are going to be happening in 2021 in amateur golf we talk about the augusta national women's amateur we talk about the us am coming up at oakmont country club we talk about all the different cups um, all the different great venues where amateur golf is going to be played and we have a long discussion about collegiate golf the challenges that could be uh, in store for many schools who will be heading to the NCAA championship. which is going to be taking place this year at Greyhawk Golf Club in Scottsdale, Arizona. We also talk about the arms race when it comes to great practice facilities and why schools are making, in some cases, multi-million dollar investments in practice facilities for collegiate golfers. So sit back and enjoy.
1: The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring for the wins, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know
0: people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's it's a downgrade. He never really had game to game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. The
1: Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite
0: podcasts. And so now making her triumphant 2021 return to the Forward Press podcast, I'd like to recognize Julie Williams, who is in the Cocoa Beach office of Golf Week Magazine and GolfWeek.com while I have a very thin, light, sandy layer of snow this morning that covered my uh, my lawn and my driveway. Julie, when was the last time you saw snow?
1: Oh, years. Right now I'm looking out my window at my beautiful hibiscus blooming.
0: That was me crying, little, in, little orphan tears in my heart. I have actually three hibiscus plants in my backyard alongside my deck. And um, part of me... Uh, there was a little old lady who came over. She's like, oh, you can make that into hibiscus tea. And I said, you know what? For the $3.50, I'll grab the Celestial Seasons tea at the store if I really want. I'm not going to dry hibiscus tea. They are beautiful, though. They oh. they look tropical.
1: Yes. It always brightens my day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I apologize. Hurt.
0: That darkened your day. It, it did dark. You know what else darkened my day? Tiger Woods' fifth back surgery darkened my day yeah. yesterday. So we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Obviously, yesterday, news all over the place, including GolfWeek.com. Tiger Woods' fifth back surgery. Um, it sounds like, and obviously we were not in the operating room, Julie, but it sounds like it wasn't extremely... Um, you know, detailed or it wasn't something that was major back surgery that we've seen from him in the past. It sounds like this was much more of a cleanup job. Nota Begay was on golf channels, exchanging messages with people who obviously see him as being sort of the, the ultimate source for all things Tiger. And he said that he was texting back and forth with Tiger, who was already hitting some golf balls, not evidently ripping drivers, which is, you know, whatever, but um, but hitting golf balls We're not going to see Tiger Woods at Torrey Pines, which is sad. That's always historically been a Tiger event. A lot of history, obviously, at Torrey Pines. Uh, We're going to be going back there this year for the U.S. Open. um, And he's not going to be playing Riviera uh, a couple weeks after that, which will also be disappointed. It's always cool to see Tiger Woods at Riv, a course that kind of has owned him, one of the very few out there that has owned Tiger Woods. And you as our sort of real person in the know when it comes to amateur golf, how much does Tiger Woods – still sort of cast a shadow on the younger generation of players now? Say that the players who are 15, 16 serious, you know, amateur golfers, how much do they look at Tiger Woods as being still the person they aspire to be?
1: Oh, I think he is absolutely still the icon. And every once in a while I am struck by, sometimes you'll meet a kid whose nickname is Tiger or whose parents named him Tiger. There have been, you know, a handful of those throughout my career. Pepsi move yeah and then you know I was just at the Annika Invitational on Monday and of course their icon many of them is Annika because she's a female and they see her as opening doors for them but it was funny I did the the girl who won she's 13 her name is Avery Zweig and uh she she doesn't do Sunday red but she does Sunday black she says that's kind of in honor of Johnny Cash, as well as, you know, Tiger has his Sunday, like, theme, you know, but the other thing is she's kind of funny. She's got a logo. Her her dad had a friend who created a logo for her when she was very young and she wears it on the back kind of collar where the T-dub would be. And I said, well, you know, what's the story behind this? And, and as he was talking about it, you know, he finally said, you know, Tiger did this. Tiger had the logo on the back and when in doubt you just do what Tiger Woods did. And I think that's probably a pretty, driving principle for a lot of these kids. And as they're charting their careers and their parents are kind of maybe around, you know, it's like, well, what did Tiger do? What works for Tiger? I think, I think there's always going to be some of that.
0: How much like Moxie does not only the kid, but the parent have to say like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to design you a logo and we're going to actually put this on your apparel. Like, what do you think of your kid? How you set it? What, what road are we traveling on? If all of a sudden your 12 or 13 year old has their own logo and actually more than just ha ha, we're just sketching here at the dinner table because we're in quarantine and we really can't go out to the movies and other stuff. We're going to have some fun with this. And, And you actually put it on there. What what's the reaction from other junior players when they see a kid who's 13 years old with her own logo?
1: Well, I tell you what, th- this 13 year old got all the respect in the world, the way she was hitting it. And there were several players who she, I mean, she's in eighth grade. She played with a high school junior and a senior in the final round and she whooped them. And at the end, you know, they, they gave all the props to her. I mean, she's a spunky little kid. And, you know, she's not a little kid. She's 13 and plays like she's much older, but yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of like it. And I will say that that's I don't, I can't name another player who does something like that. That's the first time I've seen that with an actual logo on the back, but it's cool. It's got a little, it's a little bomb and it's got her initials in it. It's pretty cool little logo.
0: I don't know how I feel about that. I got to tell you, because to to me, it's like, if, if my, my son would like nothing more as a baseball (laughs) player than to have like on his shoes, a little CD or something worked into that, that became his logo. Justin Thomas has a logo, Mm -hmm. um, Jordan Spieth has a logo. Tony Finau has a logo. A lot of players. Like this is what happens when you become like a brand. And when you get to be on the PGA Tour, oftentimes in the LPGA Tour, et cetera, you're a brand. Lexi Thompson's a brand. And and so that I get because you have product. You, you got merch. You've got merch. That's right. 13-year-olds <laughs> should not have merch.
1: <laughs> I think this is more of like a, you know, a little inside joke. But uh, I thought that was, I, I was kind of cool. I mean, if at 13, if I had been savvy enough to do that, I mean... While I was playing in nine-hole dirt tracks, you know, I probably would have done the same.
0: I it's just I can't even imagine how how I. So going back to Tiger for just a second, when you you've been covering amateur golf for a while, um, as players sort of pass through and go from the straight amateur ranks into collegiate golf, is is Tiger Woods' presence as someone who was a three-time U.S. amateur winner, um, obviously had a very illustrious, albeit short, career and stop at Stanford how much is is his presence sort of felt amongst collegiate players or is it still um, is it, is it somebody different? Obviously Phil Mickelson, you know, within the last 30 years wins as an amateur, a PGA tour event, which to me would cast a pretty damn big look. Is it, is it still there for tiger or is it was his presence within the collegiate golf world? Maybe not quite as profound as it was in the all encompassing, if you will, you know, under the whole umbrella of amateur golf.
1: You know, I, he, his presence is definitely still felt from from what I can tell. But, I, you know, it's it's Tiger, not so much of obviously, you know, what he did on, as an amateur, or what he did in college. It's Tiger, the 15-time major winner. And yeah. for a while, there was a bit of a, a crossover sometimes, or a lot of times, and this has been a few years now because these kids have aged out. But there was a sense that, well, I played against Jordan and I played against Justin Thomas. And so it was like, well, you know, I'm seeing what they're doing and I know that I beat them at this Texas legends, you know, junior golf tour event, Mm -hmm. you know, in 2000, whenever. And so that was kind of, they saw that success and they saw how they compared and they thought I can get there too, because I see what these guys who are within my reach are doing. But there's, I think a whole different sort of hero worship for Tiger, which I think will always exist. I really do.
0: I think it certainly uh, exists amongst men age, say, like eighteen to sixty. I mean, there there is still when the Tiger news came out. I don't know that I was surprised, but yet I, I'm always just sort of left shaking my head when I look at social media and to see everybody. Despondent isn't the right word, but it's immediate. I mean, it's almost like we sort of forget sometimes, because unfortunately we've gotten used to Tiger being on the injured reserve list. You know, for the last you know, X number of years, we've had back surgeries going back to 2014. We've had lost seasons for several different reasons. But every time that there's an announcement, you know, back surgery here, or is not feeling it, and it's going to have to withdraw or at least not play from the next, you know, couple of events where we would have anticipated seeing him, there is this like sort of swell of emotion that people come out almost as if like we sort of in the in the subconscious mind realized that like our time with tiger as being a genuinely competitive player is pretty limited. Now again, 45, five back surgeries. Um, there was somebody, I think it was Robert Lucidich who is formerly with Fox and the LA times. I don't know exactly where his stuff is going on, but I saw him on Twitter saying that we're going to look back, um, in the not too distant future at the 2019 masters and appreciate what he was able to do even more. I mean, obviously we appreciated it a hell of a lot, in the days and weeks immediately afterwards. But to think that like this guy was able to win the masters almost, you know, it's coming up on two years here pretty soon. It's not a big reach to think that he might not have another major in him because there's always going to be this back stuff. There's always going to be something and the depth and the quality that's, that he's going against now. And every year there's somebody, you know, we have the graduating class and uh, well, they didn't even graduate of, of Wolf. Morikawa, Hovland, Justin Saw is going to eventually work his way up in through there. I guess he might, I don't know whether he's on the Latino America tour or if he's corn fairy now or whatever, but he's coming. There are, they are guys who are going to be coming still. And it's just, I think it's, did did it surprise you? I mean, you were on social yesterday. I know that was, you were out busy at the Annika, but, but were people buzzing about it out there as much as I sort of saw on social?
1: Uh, so i was I was at the Ana on Monday, so so oh, sorry,
0: sorry, yep, by, yep.
1: So, yeah but, so I missed that by a day, so there was no no you know buzz there, but yeah. you know, I, interesting to watch social, and everybody had a take, and one of the things I saw is I don't know where this footage came from, but um it was a it was a peek at tiger on the range at the PNC championship and and taking a practice swing with what looked like a fairway wood. I can't really tell um. But there was clearly some pain there. And so, I'm, and, and so I saw that analyzed a lot. And it was just, you know, it's constant tiger chatter. But, I, yeah, I mean, it's weird. I feel like we got a bonus when he won the Masters in 2019. But, you know, that's since I've been a golf journalist, that's the first major that he's won. So, I mean, if, I've obviously covered the Tiger mania from a distance. Hmm. You know, I've, I've not been a tour writer who has been there, who has witnessed it, who has talked to him. But just to kind of live it as, you know, Watching it and having a vested interest in it, yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. It just feels like he shouldn't be able to be doing what he's doing right now. I don't. Know. That's I, that's kind of the way I look at it.
0: The two biggest non-Rider Cup roars that I've ever heard. Rider Cup roars get to be sort of another level, depending on where we've actually been. There's been some epically loud ones. Walking down. 18 at the tour championship felt like all of a sudden we were doing a flashback to when Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen would have been playing. And, you know, the entire crowd is allowed on the course. There's no ropes and everybody's just sort of following them triumphantly down was unbelievable. And I don't think the same thing happens for any other golfer on the planet. I, I don't think that Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Rory McIlroy, um, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, none of these guys get that reaction from the crowd. Um, and I can tell you going back, a ways the first time I covered Tiger professionally was the 2002 U S open at Beth page. And that was when Phil Mickelson was making a charge on Sunday, Sergio Garcia was getting it from the crowd, but he was still sort of in contention. And as Tiger is walking basically in the dark from 17 to 18 and then on 18, it's been raining all day. Everybody's full of mud. The New York crowd is let's say well hydrated, shall we say, um, (laughs) The roar was unbelievable. People were, and and I just don't think that we're, as you say, like we, we, we don't get that from everybody. His presence is still just so big. And we, every once in a while, forget how big it is. We realize that, you know, he may be, it's either him or Jack, but, uh, it's, it's just enormous. And his absence is felt. Um, but I've been pleased, at least from an interest standpoint, that golf on TV has done really well without Tiger necessarily being in the mix during the pandemic, and I think it sets up really well for us uh, going ahead in 21. Looking ahead to amateur golf in 2021, what are going to be some of the biggest storylines that you're looking forward to covering, and what are some of the things that have really got your juices flowing uh, editorially as we look to 21 with amateur golf?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is it's – the cups you know we're, and we're gonna have four cups in 2021 between our cups know, run us
0: over nice
1: our, thank you beat me to it <laughs> <It's> okay <laughs> no. uh well so yeah so we got the water cup in may which is moved up from its traditionally it's early september so you yeah. have the whole summer to to make your case to play your way in or to, or to sit on your ranking as it were you know if you if you want to kind of protect that and make sure you get a a pick but now um, they, they're going to start picking some some members of the team as early as next week. So, mm-hmm. um, or sorry, pardon me, next month. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge storyline. Um, the Curtis Cup, obviously, which is the, the women, um, which they'll play in the fall, that's also totally non-traditional. Normally they play early June, right after the end of the NCAAs, and so that's going to kind of coincide with the start of the next college season, which will be a little mm-hmm. bit interesting, but um, and then there are some new tournaments, some new amateur events coming online this year. Notably, there's a new women's event at Sea Island, which I'm super excited about. That's Ooh. traditionally the site of the Jones Cup. So now we've got maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just nickname it the Jane Cup just right now, get that on record. All right, um, done. So you heard it here first. Um, the Sage Valley Junior Invitational, which is a huge junior tournament at at this clubs age valley that's near augusta it's kind of like the little augusta very manic mm-hmm. kind of place they opened up a, a women's field this year so i'm really excited about just some different things there
0: excellent it's um spicing it up a little bit i think is is an interesting thing one of the things that in taking a look at the different cups and we'll, we'll go into some of the detail but a lot of these things are going to elite venues and that's something that i think and, and i want to hear your opinion it's got to be really important to try and draw interest and try and draw more attention to it. Now, the elite golfers who are out there who would qualify for these events, they're, they're in anyways. I mean, when you start talking about Jones Cup, if you start talking about Walker Cup and, and these other things, they're playing. Like these are springboard events for their careers, whether they aspire to be professional players or just to to move up in the rank. Like this is some place where you want to be, so th- they're going to be there. But as far as like general golf fans getting interested in trying to pull more people into being following if you will amateur golf the up-and-comers how important is it do you think that that you go to a places like sea island that you know the walker cup is is going to be contested at Seminole now for people who you know everybody sort of knows that name, yes that is the place in juno beach where donald ross built arguably the i don't think it's arguably the best golf course in the state of Florida. Um, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Matthew Wolf, and Ricky Fowler play the TaylorMade you know match for relief. That was the first time a lot of people had ever seen it. But the fact that the that the Walker Cup is going there, we're going to see it again. The Westchester Country Club is going to be the site of the U.S. Women's Am. All these. How important is it? Do you think in the grand scheme? Do they do they need to go to a places like this? And why haven't they been doing this all along?
1: I think it's great when they when they do go to places like this. And, and the USGA schedule, whether it's the Walker Cup, the US Girls Junior, the US Senior Amateur, Senior Women's Amateur, whatever, they go to great venues. And often, you know, they're not sometimes venues that we're very familiar with. A lot of them are have some historic value. I think it's Really important to see that amateurs get to play these really awesome places. Seminole is just awesome. And in fact,
0: Seminole
1: is going to be included in a college um, tournament coming up in the next couple of years. There was a a new one announced in the fall called the Stevens cup. It's going to rotate venues, but it it ends up at Seminole in a couple of years. So I'm, I'm happy to see Seminole maybe inviting some other um, factions of players. They've had a long running Amateur kind of mid-amateur tournament there called the the Coleman for years. Um, but yeah, I think I think also I'm always, or maybe I was surprised when I first started covering amateur golf very heavily, but a lot of the, particularly the male players, will tell you that, okay, I'm going to play the amateur circuit and then I'm headed to the Corn Fairy Tour or PGA Tour Canada or wherever. And the venues are obviously more historic. Yeah, a lot of times they're, a little better in amateur golf, but oh, yeah. that's one of the really cool things. Is you go to these historic clubs and the membership is all in. I mean, I'm thinking about the Dogwood, which is at Druid Hills, this little hilly, really cool course near downtown mm-hmm. Atlanta. And the membership comes out in force, and they get to know these guys, and they do dinner parties, and they do social events, and they house them. Host housing is a huge thing at amateur tournaments. The Sunny Hannah, the Western, is always at a really cool place, so. These are not just like these guys come in, girls come in, they play, they leave. The membership is invested and and Mm -hmm. relationships are created. And I I really do think that the players appreciate where they are and and what they're playing.
0: So the Northeast Am every -hmm. year is at Mm Wanamoiset. I can tell you for fact, knowing a couple members, Wanamoiset is not going to have a corn fairy tour any decade soon. It's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. The membership is not going to be, as you point out, behind that idea. They love the fact that they've got the Northeast dam, um, Quaker Ridge, um, which I forget on the golf week's best list. I f- believe it's still top 20. If it's not it damn well should be, I think it's, they ranked it number seven in the state of New York, but that's only because New York is blessed with so many golf courses. Quaker Ridge would be number one in, I argue 40 out of the 50 States in the U S held a Walker cup. You're not going to see a corn Ferry tour event held at Quaker Ridge. a the Cup
1: too. 28. 28- TV. Curtis Cup,
0: exactly. Like so, yeah. so, those are the events that these types of memberships at the elite golf clubs, which is really what we're talking about here. Um, they love that stuff. They eat that stuff oh. like candy. They love to sit there and have a South Side on the veranda and watch, you know, the world's best amateur golfers. There's almost like a purity it seems to it that, and this isn't to disparage the Corn Fairy Tour any any bit, but there is this feel around the elite amateur events if you have a chance to go to them. And it's it's a different vibe, and they really love that. Shinnecock Hills would never have, you know, a, a small-level pro tournament. The, if it's not going to be the U.S. Open, it's going to be something like a U.S. Am, or it will be something like a U.S. Women's Am, or something like that, rather than a smaller division or lower division professional tournament. And that's that's totally, I think, in keeping with these. The big kahuna that we haven't talked about, the biggest news, for amateur golf in 2021 though actually came out January 12. and was back well we, were you fired did you think we might not get it
1: well I I was trying not to think about it to be quite honest with you because I just wanted it to happen so badly I mean in terms of like highlights of my career highlights of my golfing life it, it's just like I spent that week pinching myself being at, at Augusta and even at champions retreat in the days before I sure. mean the only place I had been where I, I had never felt like women's golf was celebrated to that level. And I've been covering this for, for 10 years. And, you know, I, I love it, but I feel like everybody else got a chance to see what I love. So when I saw that it was going to be played, it was just a, I was very happy and, and who I've talked to, who has gotten invitations. You know, I've talked to some of their coaches, I've talked to parents, and I think it was just a collective sigh of relief in women's golf. So.
0: Bill Anwa. So let me put forward an argument and you tell you agree with this or disagree with it. That for its place in amateur golf right now, the Anwa is more important than any other amateur event, male or female. Agree or disagree? Well,
1: I'm I'm a biased opinion there.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but do do your best to sort of play it straight. Is in it really- is it is it more important for amateur golf and for women's amateur golf certainly specifically than the US AM is for the guys?
1: that that, that's a really tough comparison for for me to make important in different ways for sure i mean but i guess with the same concept being door opening you just think about the level of exposure that those women got i mean i will i will never forget that scene on the 18th green in 2019 when jennifer cupcho and maria fossey had finished their round and it wasn't like there were a hundred thousand people around that green. You know, it wasn't no. like it was the you know the Sunday at the masters. but for for this area of the game, it was profound how many people were standing there and cheering and all eyes on them and they were on TV. I mean, not just amateur golf on TV, not just women's golf on TV. I mean, we're talking amateur sports on TV. They, they, how wow. often do they get a Saturday afternoon on NBC? That's huge. And everybody knows those women and everybody will, will remember them. And I, I think there were so many little girls who probably came into the game that day and for Maria and Jennifer and for anybody else who made a good run on that Saturday afternoon, I think they, they got their careers were helped considerably. And it's kind of the same thing with the U.S. amateur. You win a USAM and the, the doors just start flying open in terms of PGA tour exemptions you can get. And just everything that comes with—I'm a U.S. amateur champion. I—I I, so so to set yourself up down the road. I mean, look at what Victor Hovland was able to do as a U.S.A.M. winner. He was able to play a ton of times on the PGA Tour, and I, I think that is a huge reason he's having the success he is now. And Andy Ogletree. Got some of the same, you know, mm-hmm. he obviously has to battle the pandemic just, you know, setting in just a few months after he won. It's a little different for him. And, you know, Tyler Strafacci, who won at Bandon Dunes, we'll see kind of how it plays out. He's remaining amateur to the, to the Walker Cup. He's the only guy who we know is going to be on the Walker Cup team so far by virtue of his U.S. amateur win. But it just it's a door opener and i'm so happy that the women have something like that too because the women's am is big you get you get a lot of exemptions into lpga majors mm-hmm. and for some women in the past it has changed the course of well i was going to go to college but gosh i've got all of these exemptions now and you you start to see how you perform on the biggest lpga stage and it's i think understandably it's very hard to think okay well i'm just going to go ahead with my usual plan so yeah anyway, it's just so much, it's just so much bigger though no, it just
0: it's just huge i'm not sure like i i you you make a really good point when victor Hoblin wins the US Am, he wins it at pebble beach about as cool as it gets and yeah. that win gets him into the 2019 masters where he's low am and then he gets into the 2019 us open back at pebble beach again low am there first time i believe that happened, I, it's either he Alone, or he and Nicholas are the only two that have ever done that. I, I forget. I'm botching that record. Yeah, I apologize. I, but, I don't remember either. Um, yeah, Jack. If if I ever have a you know an idea about a record, I'm just going to assume that Jack's got it, uh, except for the Tiger, that the three USAMs. Um, and so when Hovland the following week turns pro after the 2019 US Open, and he shows up at the Travelers Championships in Hartford you're right. Like he's already got his Oklahoma state career again, not all four years, but distinguished as it was the illustrious amateur career. He has played Augusta national. He played practice rounds. Cause I was following, he and I wrote a, uh, a diary every day from Augusta mm-hmm. national. He's staying, you know, up in the crow's nest and he and I were meeting every day and we're jotting down words and exchanging stuff. And I followed him one day during the practice round. I think it was on Tuesday and he's playing with Ricky Fowler, another Oklahoma State guy. And there's Dustin Johnson with them. And then, um, if I'm not mistaken, who was it? Brooks Kepka joins in. And I'm just thinking, like, here's little Victor Hovland, who is rather diminutive. Like, if he just, like, threw on, you know, a grubby T-shirt and hat, which is probably what he does wear most of the time when he's not on the golf course, um, he would fit in with every other, like, 20, 21-year-old at the time. And he's out there playing with literally the most elite golfers in the world. And so as far as stepping stones go, yeah, that U.S. Amateur win gets him into the U.S. Open, gets him into the Masters, gets him all that experience. And I can see it. I know Jennifer Cupcho because she won the premiere in the very first ANWA. I don't think I would have known Jennifer Cupcho for any other reason as we sit here talking today. And this is not to disparage her in the least. She hasn't won multiple LPGA tour events. She's not won LPGA majors, et cetera. And that's sort of what I I follow. And that's, I guess, my whole argument is is that on the other side of this for the LPGA Tour and for women's amateur golf, if if you're going to have one of these sort of sterling events, that one to have it at Augusta National, to have it, as you say, on primetime TV, national network television, even people who don't know or have never watched a single women's golf event ever, forget like LPGA Tour, forget the US Women's Open. They just want to see Augusta National. And the fact that you have these women out there competing and playing it really, really well, to me is like, oh, my gosh. that's. I, I don't know what the TV numbers are. And obviously, this year with the pandemic, the the coverage and whatever the rating was for the USAM when it was abandoned, which I think was just amazing. It was so cool to see that. Um, but at the same time, I got to believe that there's more just general interest because it's Augusta. And the fact that the Augusta National Golf Club has taken an interest – in trying to foster women's amateur golf. I think when they announced it people were like what the hell is this? Like women's I'm like why aren't they getting no like, no no this is perfect. Love- this is an opportunity the 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 opportunity to really elevate this is huge. And that's I guess my argument back to you is that why would I know and I, with again it. So, why would I know Jennifer Cupcho had she not won the the first Anwa? And that's that's I guess the argument.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. And and she's an NCAA championship, you know, so so no, <laughs> and, and had been number one in the world. Absolutely. But you're right. I mean, she, got, she got the grandest stage, which, which was the whole thing that was cool. I absolutely, I think you're spot on with people came to see the golf course or tuned in to see the golf course. And this is what they saw. And, I mean, I coach, like we've talked about, I coach a high school girls team. And, and I sent everybody an email that day. I said, Listen, I want you to be at your TV today from noon to two or whatever the broadcast hours were, and I want you to watch oh. these girls because, for one thing, they're your age. It's not like you're watching a forty-year-old LPGA player. Which props to them too, and is a is a cool thing.
0: <laughs> Different story though. Yeah, it's
1: like watch these girls. Look at how they play, and just know the history. Like just just know how significant it is that they're here and that they're welcome mm-hmm. and they're playing here. So. I think, and I I do think we will hear more and more stories of that. And you're already getting it with the drive chip and putt. You're already seeing a lot of the very successful juniors coming up and you start to dig into their backstory and and you ask them, well, okay, what are some of your accolades or, you you know, you look into their, into their bios and you see drive chip and putt finalists or, you know, multi-time drive chip and putt finalists. And you think, okay, well this, you know, propelled them in some way. It, It, Gave them something to strive for. It gave them some confidence, or it hooked them into the game when they got to go to Augusta. So uh, that'll continue to happen down the road. I think in ten years, you're gonna you're gonna find kids who. Well, I watched that day when Jennifer and Maria played. Mm -hmm. They had that great round, and then I or you'll hear you'll hear parents who I parked my kid in front of the TV that day, and she was, you know, in awe. And so then we started playing. Or she wanted to be Maria Fossey. She wanted to be Jennifer Cupcho. So it's definitely going to be a trickle down.
0: Kind of kids who have logos already on the back of their shirts. Yeah. Like I get better. Like and and I mean this knows. Like I just get so jealous. And I'm probably it's because I'm one of the worst people I know. Like I'm yeah. watching these like you know 12 and 13 year old kids, boys and girls, who hit it farther and straighter with the driver than I do. And it makes me want to just take up croquet. I'm just like, hey, you got to be kidding. Me. I'm. It's just not going to happen for me. I know it's not going to happen for me. And um. It's cool as hell to see the kids. It's cool as hell to see the parents in the background who just could not be more proud. And regardless of whether a kid duffs a chip, balloons, you know, a drive far right, which never happens, by the way. Um, win or lose, everybody is so genuinely thrilled to be there. It's one of the cooler sort of events in golf that means – it's funny. It means nothing, and it means everything. You know, there's no prize money out there. There's 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 nothing like those kids um, – if, if you told them you get to go to the drive chip and putt national final at Augusta national, and you're going to come in dead last, they couldn't oh, sign no. the paper on that fast enough. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't do it fast enough. If they win or they come in fifth or whatever it happens to be awesome. Got to shake Adam Scott's hand or Bubba Watson's hand or Sergio Garcia's hand or whatever, you know, see Condoleezza Rice uh, out there uh, to, to meet Fred Ridley, all these different things, which are, are super cool. Um, the experience and the exposure is next is something that they will literally remember for the rest of their lives, whether they play more golf at a higher level or where they decide something else is going to be their calling. It's super cool. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk to basically the stories that are going to be happening in collegiate golf. Um, what is the state right now of college golf specifically as it relates to who's playing where are people playing at all? What's what's going on right now in college golf as we've now turned the page on the calendar.
1: So we're, we're set to, pretty much kick off the season here in the next two weeks. Um, end of January, start of February, we're going to have a lot more tournaments happening. And pretty much everybody is playing. I mean, the, the Power Five conferences are playing mm-hmm. uh, with some restrictions, some of them. And the so so we had the ACC, the Big Ten, uh, the Pac-12 did not play in the fall. if they could not play as a team. So their players were here and there playing individual tournaments, almost all of the coaches I talked to, you know, the, the thing that they were reiterating over and over is you cannot take, I mean, if, because if you didn't play from the end of the 2019, 20, 20 season, which, which ended mid-March, if you didn't play mm-hmm. from then until, I mean, now we start up in early February, you've, you've missed like 11 months of competition. And I think they all recognize that that can't happen. And there were limited opportunities to play. Some of the major amateur events were canceled. A lot of the USGA events were canceled. The women's AM and the men's AM, of course, stayed on the calendar. But so, I mean, we've seen these kids playing anything they can get into from state AMS to, you know, Golf Week hosted some events. The Golf Coaches yeah. Association hosted some events. So, you know, these, these kids are everywhere. But they come back as a team. And, and the interesting thing is we don't have a great picture of how the rankings are going to shake out. We um our Golf Week Sagarin rankings ran through the fall but they were only like 50 55 teams in there and sec was only playing you know conference only uh the big 12 was was playing pretty much within conference um and then you know some teams kind of here and there and playing whatever they can get into so that they're not you know super reflective of what's going on we have no idea what some of those other teams are going to do i mean like for example in women's golf white forest i think was the team to beat when everything closed shop last year and we haven't seen mm-hmm. the at all and they're going to play pretty much within within conference pretty much on the east coast the sec is going to do the same they're going to play pretty much within conference they can play other opponents as long as they're within the re uh, the conference footprint which means just anywhere where an sec team or an sec school okay. is located so we can't go what, west of you know missouri and texas pretty much Mm-hmm. Um, which presents a problem, of course, when the NCAA championship. Well, and
0: I was, I was going to bring that up. So last year we were supposed to have the NCAA championship for both the men's and the women's, if I'm not mistaken, at Greyhawk, which is in Scottsdale, Arizona. Beautiful track, 36 holes. Um, I've been there a bunch of times. I love the fact that they've got the uh, classic rock booming from the hidden rocks in, in the practice areas. Um, Phil's Grill fun spot to to have a libation or five after you basically have lost every golf ball in your bag into the desert. But desert golf is a different deal than yeah. what the kids are going to be playing in Florida and in Louisiana, Kentucky, um, the Pacific Northwest, some of those, you know, mountain West schools, et cetera, or the, the, you know, folks up in Washington state with PAC 12, how much of an advantage disadvantage issue is it going to be once we figure out who the heck's going to be at the NCAA's? the fact that it's desert golf this year.
1: Yeah, I, I think East Coast teams are at a little bit of a disadvantage, um, and I'm sure their coaches will will figure that out. But, but I, you know, if I'm if I'm an ACC or an SEC team, you know, I, I probably don't like where it, where this is headed, um, because th- they're going to spend their season playing on the East Coast. So I give the advantage to probably a Pac-12 school, I think, or at least somebody who's who is familiar with that West Coast. It's just it's just a different just a different ball game out there. We yeah. haven't played I mean, they obviously play there in the regular season often. Um, Arizona State hosts a lot of events there and you know, UCLA, USC, they, they host events in that kind of Southern California and, and desert region, Arizona, New Mexico. But you know it's it's been a while since we've been out there. So it's not as if these kids don't know what they're doing at all or mm-hmm. you know have any idea how to tackle it that because that's not true. but it's just in terms of maybe comfort. and when was the last time we came out here and played? <laughs> um
0: one last thing I sort of want to wrap up on is Golf Week has shown um, several different top university golf facilities over the last month. You can go up onto the website and it's pretty much nicer, trust me than, any country club practice facility you have ever been to, I can only think of a couple that can compete with, you know, not just the the practice screens, but the the ranges, the fitness areas. Everything is sort of like these one facility. It's it's like if you could design your own Top Golf, take away the sort of video game aspect, everything else is there. You know, you TrackMan launch monitors. Yeah, we've got nine of them. You know, different types of of grasses on putting greens. yeah, we've got we've got Poe, we've got whatever, like, what do you want? Different types of sand and bunkers? Yep, got that too. All this different stuff is going on. Um, how much, talk about a little bit of the arms race, because that stuff is not just done to, to improve the, their players, but it's also done for recruiting, right? Like these are major things that universities need to do. And how much, if at all, what what can Northern schools, a lot of times that are looked on where they, they have a much more seasonal time... What do they do in light of the fact that these schools primarily in the South end up creating these monster facilities? Is it just a matter of the rich getting richer?
1: Well, you hit on it with those facilities. They're huge recruiting tools. And I hear kids say, you know, when I say, well, why did you pick this place, you know, that you wanted to play? And, and a lot, almost always facilities, you know, that may not be the first thing they say, but but they're absolutely looking at those because you cannot you have to go to. I mean, this, this is like the crux of college golf, right? You have to go to a place where you're going to get better and those play a huge role in being able to get better because you do you do have to you cannot be putting the clubs away just completely when there's snow on the ground Mm -hmm. so you know and, and these these facilities are so impressive we posted like michigan states last week and i was blown away and you know ball state and you know even some of the lower divisions have and mid you know mid major schools they they all have places where their kids are going when in the cold weather but you know, I would say it's it's not just that. I do notice that a lot of the northern schools they start their season in you know south. They they go somewhere for and and again this year everything goes out the window because nothing is going to be normal this year. Porter or, um, Purdue typically hosts a tournament in Puerto Rico. Um, the Purdue women's coach is going to host a new event in Florida this year. Iowa has hosted an event in Mexico. Michigan State for years the women used to do a. So they would call it the Central District that was down in Florida. I mean, these teams come down and they play. I'm going to go every year. I go to Central Florida's tournament in Orlando called the UCF Challenge, and they're always, you know, Kent State is always there, Purdue, Michigan State. So these teams are coming south. Many of them take spring break trips to mm-hmm. Arizona or to Southern California. Ball State men took an awesome trip to, I think, I think it was Southern California or, or Arizona. Then we were kind of looking at some pictures, um, you know, that they were sharing on Twitter last year. So they find a way to get it done. Uh, you know, and even, you know, I played low-level Division Two in, in North Missouri. And, you know, our indoor facilities consisted of a racquetball court with a net in the corner.
0: So you well, and, them. and so I was going to ask you, like, what – it's not like they're ever going to compete on a national level, but what did, what do division three and division two schools do when they're looking to try and recruit people to come to their programs? And they, I'm assuming don't have athletic budgets like the university of Florida, like Michigan state, like Ohio state, like Northwestern, like the university of Arizona. What do you do?
1: Well, from experience, if it's, if it's 40 degrees, you go play golf. You go play. 40 degrees is the warm day. Yeah, but, and, and you know, like I, I was, in, I was intrigued by this. I mean, Amy Olson, who we all watched,
0: tremendous, big fan,
1: made an awesome run at the Women's Open and looked yep. like she had it in the bag after about 16 holes in the final round, and, and ended up just coming up short. But a, a, a lot of the banter on Twitter that day was she she won a USGA title going into her freshman year of college. She was a little bit younger, so she was still a, eligible to play the US Girls Junior. And she was already committed to play for North Dakota State, and she continued to play for North Dakota State, and she could have gone anywhere. I Mm -hmm. I think anyone would have taken her. She played on a Curtis Cup team, um, obviously is on the LPGA Tour now. She was always someone who was at the women's amateurs and the big women's events. I mean, she didn't play a lot of, like, AJGA or Big Junior stuff, but she – went to north dakota state and she followed through and she had a coach up there who she worked with and she continued to get better so there is something to be said for the fact that i mean you can get better at northern schools i mean it's just a little bit different i don't you know i don't think you have to have your clubs out of the bag for 365 days a year and i think amy olson is the name that i throw up when people say well you can't you know you should really go to a southern school well you you can make it work the, i mean have, some of the coaches i mean mike small at illinois Mm-hmm. One of the most renowned coaches in the game. I would say Stacy Slobodnik Stoll at Michigan State, the women's coach, a, a tremendous coach. So align yourself with, with someone like that. You know, I think facilities are huge, but definitely, definitely other factors go into.
0: Well, on that note, I'm giving a big shout-out to Mary Lawrence at St. Lawrence University, my Fighting Division three school, where they are under snow. So so playing golf is not an option right now, unfortunately, on, on their course. And the last time I was up there a couple of years ago, it's again, small division three school. Um, they've got three, you know, basically hitting bays with, you know, launch monitor assistance so kids can hit balls into ranges. They have the indoor putting green. The, everything is right there within walking distance of campus. You can walk right to that facility and then walk right over to the golf course, which is great. And, um, yeah, I can tell you at some point when we turn off the recording, many fun stories about that golf course when you're, say, like 20 years old and have a good fake ID. Um, but I digress a little bit. Julie, have a great rest of your week. Thank you very much for coming on The Ford Press.
1: Thank you. it has been great.